God's been doing something different with me. It started really years ago. Um, I, I went on a lot of short-term missions trips really all over the place, all over India, Africa. I've told you about that. I went to Siberia two times. There's white stuff in Siberia, cold. Uh, but people want God. And I've been in Central America and such. But um, the reason I said that was <clears throat> I, um, I began to notice a pattern that when uh, I would go in these places and minister, and we would... Uh, preaching evangelistic meetings at night with lots of people. And then during the day, we would minister to pastors. And time and time and time again, um, what I had planned to do didn't happen. And, and I didn't realize what God was doing then, but I think it was a setup for now. Because God's wanting to do something different in the body of Christ. Now, how many know that churches, by and large, have figured out how to draw a crowd? And how to, how to make a big crowd? And how to make a big crowd bigger? And the bigger the crowd, the, the more important the church is. That is not true. God likes churches with 50 people, 150 people, 550 people, 5,000 people, right? He loves them all. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that that church is blessed by God, big or small. And what we've learned today is we've learned how to manipulate and control things. So we keep it nice and in a nice little cubicle of time. And we have some elements that really move people and, and, and help them see, ooh, this is good. And then, and then we cut it off. But here, God's wanting to make a change in the body of Christ. And he wants us to want him more than we care about our time. And that's a real problem in America. Other nations, not so much. But in America, well, you got, God, if you're going to do something in my life, you got 25 minutes. <laughs> After that, I'm going to turn you off, and I'm done, and I'm going to have a sourpuss face, or I'm just going to walk out. Right? So he's just wanting to make it. And you know, you don't want to take that to the extreme because at some point your bladder is going to get full and you got to go out the door. I mean, I get that. Then your kids are in children's church, and hopefully they're not going to climb the walls, Right? So there is, I mean, but I'm just saying that God wants us to be willing to do something different. I was on a train coming, going from Chennai, India to uh, north, I don't know, my Lord, we went five, six hours on that old train, old crazy. You ever been on an Indian train? It's a crazy ride. I just want you to know, I don't have time to tell you, but I was sitting there, you know, and I was tired, been traveling for 40-something hours by plane, several flights, you know, and then got to there. And then we had to ride on this train, it was just dog dead, stinking piece of tire, like Jesus I want to rest. And so, you know, I couldn't sleep because I was so tired I couldn't sleep. So I was looking at the Time magazine that was in the seat, believe it or not, in English. I thought, well, look at there. The English gave my magazine. So I'm reading, a little, trying to fall asleep. But I kept hearing the faculty of impromptu speech. I kept hearing that for the faculty of impromptu speech. And I think it's a title from a chapter in lectures to my Students by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. How many know the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance what you put inside of you? If you'll put the Word inside of you, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the Word, right? And sometimes, you know, I used to listen to a guy named Alexander Scorby who was an Englishman who, who was, I think, the first person to put the Bible uh, in, on cassette tape at the time. And I had a copy of those in the mid-70s and kept them on the seat in my car and, and had a tape playing. I keep those things. But I heard it so much that sometimes the Holy Spirit would speak like Alexander Scorby. And the Lord said, you know, and I would just hear this English voice. How many know the Holy Spirit? And so I was on that train, the faculty of the impromptu speech, and I said, I don't know why you're saying that to me. Well, I got off the, tra uh, off the train, and y'all, I was like, I mean, tired is not even... I do, it's just not the right word. Uh, dead dog tired. Y'all ever heard somebody say that? I was just worse than that, maybe. So I got off, you know, and they put this lay of, uh, of, of um, this, I shouldn't say it this way, maybe, but I'm going to say it. <clears throat> they had bugs all over the lay of flowers. 
and then they put them around your neck. Say you got bugs crawling on the lay of flowers. That's all right. Thank you, Jesus. And then we went to a service, and I'm not making this up. I was so tired. I'll get to my point and keep moving. I was so tired. I said, God, I just, I don't have anything in me, and I don't know what to say or do. I just was tired. I'm so tired I don't feel like thinking. I certainly don't feel like preaching, particularly after 9 o'clock at night when I've been traveling all these 40-something hours and I've been on that train. Lord. So I'm sitting there, and all, the next thing I heard was, I heard somebody say, well, he's real tired. And I had, he's real tired. He's been traveling a long time. And I had my eyes shut. And the next thing I heard was, hey, Mitch, Pastor Mitch, you, it's time for you to preach. I said, preach where? <laughs> and they said, you're an Indian, and it's time for you to preach. I said, me? I said, yeah, you. I said, oh. And I got up on the stage and opened my mouth, and y'all, Kaboom. The faculty of the impromptu, and I feel that today. So I got all these notes I've prepared. In fact, my notes are online. I can't tell you where this is going to go except it's going where God wants it to go. But I want to talk to you about a moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. And there is a coming a, a sound from heaven, again, as a rushing mighty wind. And God is wanting to emphasize the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ again. Because the Holy Spirit will make you that first word. He will make you holy. Come out from among them, 2 Corinthians 6 says, and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So God's in the process right now. How many know of cleaning up the body of Christ? The body of Christ has gotten a bit dirty in America in certain ways. Would you agree with that? Not everybody. We've got some really nice people, great people. You're great. I think all of y'all got, you know, halos and wings. That's how I think about you. It's great. But, you know, a lot of people have been tarnished by the world, by the culture, have imbibed the ideologies of our current time and are living that way and saying that God says it's okay. How many know the Lord never changes? How many know the Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments? How many know the holy God is still holy? And, and you don't take what is holy and throw it to dogs. Right? Well, didn't Jesus say that? I think somebody named Jesus might have said that. So, you know, he's just wanting to come and really clean us up. And to do that, there's an emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's been an emphasis of the Holy Spirit since, uh, really since the day of Pentecost, day of Pentecost, again, there was just tremendous trouble, particularly in the Middle East with the Roman Empire and with their, uh, and with their uh, tyrannous uh, uh, dictators who ruled life with an ironclad fist, uh, severely persecuting the church. Uh, just as it began, <laughs> it, the inception of the church started in persecution. But that persecution created a flame, and that persecution created a fire. And that persecution drove them more closely to Jesus. Did you hear me? Because they had to. And see, we're coming full circle again. And that regime, the Antichrist, global stuff is rising up. And it's all about control. Controlling you. Controlling your life. Controlling what you think. Controlling what you do. And if you don't like it, well, we'll just either imprison you or, or snuff your life out. Now, that's what's happening, and that's what's emerging. How many hear what I'm saying? Whether you like it or not, that's what the Bible said would happen. In fact, Isaiah mentioned it last week, said darkness will cover the earth, Isaiah 60, 1 through 3, and deep or gross darkness the people. And that's talking about um, uh, morals that have just been thrown to the wind, and anything goes, a gross darkness coming upon humanity that's happening Worldwide, the reason that believers probably will be persecuted so severely in the years to come, and maybe perhaps even in the not too distant future, sad to say, perhaps even in America, uh, is, is because of the ideology that there are no sexual mores. Anything goes, whatever you want to do, do it with anybody at any age. That's where we are now. Yes or no? And friends, it's ruining our nation. It's ruining the world, and it's creating an atmosphere of division and fear and control. And, uh, you know, it's, it's being set up. The good news is the Holy Spirit's moving at the same time. 
And see, that's what I'm going to hone in on. So, you know, back the turn of the 20th century in the first uh, uh, 1905, 1906 or so, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Los Angeles, California at a place called Azusa Street. Many people have heard about that. And since then, there's been a moving of the Holy Spirit. Truth is, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. Uh, for the first time after Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was um, baptized by his first cousin John in the Jordan River. And at the same time, Jesus received what the disciples experienced on the day of Pentecost. Jesus received the baptism with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in water. They're two separate experiences, but Jesus received them both at the same time. He got down into water. When he came up, man, he was the Holy Spirit empowered him. Understand something about Jesus. Jesus didn't minister in the power of the office of the Son of God. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gave us an example that we should follow in his steps. So Jesus didn't do anything in ministry that believers can't do today in his name and in his power using being used by the ability that came on Jesus which was the holy spirit right jesus said right after he had that experience with john none of this is in my notes here we are faculty of the prompt to speech so you know jesus was baptized by his cousin he came up after water and then he went to a synagogue. Synagogues had emerged places that Jews went on the Sabbath to read Scripture. And generally, the scroll was opened up, and it was, it was already set. Uh, every, day, every Sabbath was set, and what was to be read was already set up. And usually, if you have a guest in a synagogue that walks in and the new person in the room, well, the new person in the room gets to get up. Would you like to read the scripture for today? So Jesus walks into a synagogue fresh from the waters of baptism where the Holy Spirit was poured out on him as well. And they say, would you like to read? He says, yes, I would. And he walks up to the podium and he looks down at Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. <laughs> to bring deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to preach the, the notable day of the Lord. Woo! It was all set up. The power of the Holy Spirit. So, again, Jesus didn't start ministry. It's odd. You think, now, why did God through, go through all the expanse of time and, and weave this uh, thread of redemption all through the Old Testament prophets and scriptures in the Old Testament, then have his son incarnate, incarnate or be born into a human body just like us? Why did he do all that and have him spend 30 years just acting like an everyday, ordinary person. No miracles, no teaching except at age 12. He taught the, you know, authorities there in the synagogue and they couldn't believe that a 12-year-old had such wisdom. Other than that, he helped his father in the carpenter shop. He was there with his stepbrothers and sisters because they didn't have his father. Joseph was their daddy, but God was his daddy, Right? And so he's tooling around. He's learning the trade of carpentry. And, and uh, <clears throat> I guess he became a pretty good carpenter. But he did no miracles until John chapter 2 when he was at a wedding. Now, religious people have a problem with it. He turned water into wine. Now, I don't drink wine. I don't drink beer. I don't drink any kind of alcohol. If I drink it, it's going to be because you put it in something I'm drinking and I didn't know it. And that's never happened to me. So I just don't do that. But Jesus turned water into wine. That's his first miracle. And he was 30 years old. Why? Because Jesus didn't do what he did because he was the son of God. Listen, he did it as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. And it's in my notes here somewhere. Maybe you can find it, um, Sean. The works that I do, it's uh, John 14, verse 12. It's in here somewhere. Well, I'm going to find it. I feel it coming up. <laughs> the works that, can you put it on the screen? Can you find it in my notes? Oh, it's up there. Look at there. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do. Everybody say the works I do. He will do also. Mm -mm -mm. And greater works than these he will do. Whoa. 
Because I go unto my Father. Wow. Is that amazing? How could we do the works that Jesus did? What kind of works did Jesus do? Well, he healed people. Uh, he raised people from the dead. You don't have a lot of that in America because once they die, we put this embalming fluid stuff in them, and that's pretty much it. I guess he could override the embalming fluid, but in other nations, once you die, 24 hours or so, you're in the dirt or in a tomb somewhere because you're going to smell bad. And, and people in other nations are raised from the dead quite, quite frequently sometimes, particularly in places like Africa where they don't turn their minds on the way we do, and they turn God off. We turn God off when we turn our minds on. Yes or no? They don't do that. So anyway, Jesus said, the works I do, you will do. Well, Jesus ministered to people. He taught people. He ministered life to people. Uh, he operated in spiritual gifts. He would come up to somebody and, and, uh, and just tell their life story to them a little bit. The word of knowledge. And then the word of wisdom. He would talk to them about what their life would be like in the future. And then Jesus, you know, um, uh, he had discerning of spirits. These are spiritual gifts. And he would see in the spiritual realm, Satan would come. Angels would come and minister to him, ascending and descending right there as he went through his wilderness temptations. It says the, that the angels of God came and ministered to him, right? And so Jesus operated in discerning of spirits. The gift of faith would come upon Jesus. And people, you know, to raise somebody from the dead, it's not natural, ordinary faith. Or else you'd just be going down to the mortuary today, raging your favorite first cousin. <laughs> no, it's, it takes gift of faith. And then the gift of working of miracles operated in Jesus' ministry. He, uh, he multiplied food, right? Uh, he walked on water. That's pretty not, that's not normal. When's the last time you walked on water? When's the last time you multiplied food? See, it's, 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 it's out of the ordinary. It's working of miracles. It's a setting aside of the laws of nature as we know it. And Jesus operated in those things, right? The gifts of healings, gift of faith, working of miracles. Uh, the only things that Jesus didn't operate in was the two spiritual gifts. How many know there are nine spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. I just mentioned seven of them. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits where you see into the spirit realm, right? We'll come back to this maybe in a minute. And then the gift of faith, the gifts of healings, working of miracles. And then Jesus also operated in the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is inspired utterance, inspired by the Holy Spirit. What Jesus did not operate in because it wasn't part of the Old Testament time was different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. That came with the day of Pentecost, right? And it came with the church age, right? Jesus, I don't know that anything ever said that Jesus prayed in tongues, but he said you'd speak with a new tongue and you'd, and you'd take up serpents, exercise authority over the devil, right? But Jesus didn't pray in tongues and didn't interpret because that wasn't part of that dispensation of time. But when the church age began, that became part of it. So there are nine spiritual gifts. Listen, have you ever thought about it? Everything that Jesus did, he did not because he was the Son of God. He did it because he was a, a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. Well, how you know that? Well, then answer this question. If that's not true, why didn't, he, why didn't he do miracles at the age 29 or 27 or 23 or 18 or 15 or 12? Why didn't he work miracles? Now, I know there are, there are spurious, we call them spurious books, the Apocrypha. Now, if you're Catholic, understand I love you. The Catholic Bible contains the Apocrypha. What is that, 14 books or so that are not in the, the Protestant Bible because the church fathers didn't say they were inspired. They'd be inspired writings. You had to quote Old Testament prophets a few times. You had to say nothing that discounted or disagreed with any other part of inspired writings. And these Apocrypha did. So the Apocrypha, you know, it talks about Jesus when he's a little boy going to the, going to the, um, going to the uh, uh, ocean and then getting in some sand and, and making the person and breathing life on. That's a lie. That's a deception. That's a man-made thing. And that's the reason they're not in the Protestant Bible. Now, if you're Catholic, you got, you got to have grace and mercy on me. And I love you, but I disagree with that. 
Because that doesn't agree with the rest of Scripture. How many hear me? All right? So let's put our disagreements aside. Keep talking. Right? So Jesus did no miracles till he turned that water into wine, John chapter 2. Why? Because he waited for the power of the Holy Spirit. If he wanted to and if God wanted him to, could he have done miracles? Yeah. Why didn't he? Because he gave us an example that we should follow in his steps, 1 Peter 2 says. You hear me? So if Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, he expects you to minister to others with the same power that he was used with, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we often talk about this power as... Um, as an entity separate in and of itself. This power is the Holy Spirit. It is his presence. It's really the presence of God manifest. How many know the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? They always agree. They're co-equal. They're co-eternal. They all think the same way, do the same thing, act the same way, speak the same thing, right? So the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit God. So when the Holy Spirit manifests, God manifests. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you've heard the Spirit, you've heard Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to not to build himself up. And what I see a lot today is people are building up the Holy Spirit. You know what he does? He hides. The Holy Spirit hides behind Jesus. Huh? Because his whole goal and purpose is to make Jesus real to you and me. And so for that reason, he won't magnify himself. He'll magnify Jesus. Every time Jesus talked, he magnified the Father. Huh? So anytime you're preaching and ministering and talking and you magnifying you, you don't have the same spirit they had. Huh? Smith Wigglesworth had this saying, all of me, none of God. I said, well, no, I got it backwards, didn't I? How do I say it? Y'all say it for me. All of me. What? Say it again. All of God, none of me. All of me, none of God. I got it backwards, right? Say it again. All of God, none of me. There it is. All of me, none of God. Less of me, more of God. None of me, all of God. It's the faculty of impromptu speech. <laughs> right? So the more you demagnify you, the more he comes up. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Right? So, so when I start talking about this today, just got to understand. You get you out the way. And let the Holy Spirit have his way. He makes Jesus real big. I mean, you might feel like a pickle. A bit sour. But Jesus can use you. How many hear me? And you may feel nothing. But see, yeah, he has all things. So it's not about you and me. It's about him. So when Jesus was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit came on him. Wasn't that the same time, 30 years of age, when, when young, young Hebrew boys, they became soldiers? 30 years, just something to think about. Joseph became um, prime minister of Egypt, 30 years old. Kind of a pattern, huh? Jesus, 30 years of age. Yeah. So he did all that so we could know we could operate with the same authority and spiritual power from the Holy Spirit he had, right? So I want you to get something out of your mind today. God wants to do through you what he did through Jesus. And it's not up to the, I don't like for people to call me a preacher. That preacher. I actually am more of a teacher than a preacher. You can call me preacher if you like, and I'll go, all right. God bless you, sir. God bless this man. 
But see, God wants to use you even though you're not a preacher or a pastor or a minister. And that's what you've got to know today. God wants to use every individual member of the body of Christ. Yes or no? In these spiritual gifts, there, there are nine of them. Three reveal something. Three do something. Three say something. Again, the ones, the three that reveal something, I just mentioned them. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, where you actually see into the realm of spirits. Uh, and then the three that do something, the, the uh, gift of faith. And I may go and talk about this a little more later. The working of miracles and then the gifts of healings. And then there are three that say something. Prophecy, which is inspired utterance and always agrees with Scripture, right? Uh, the simple gift of prophecy just builds us up, calls us near to God, and, uh, and helps us, right? But it always agrees with Scripture. And then there are different kinds of languages or tongues. And then there's the interpretation of tongues, right? So there are nine of them. See, God wants you to operate in the ones he wants you to operate in. You can't say, well, you can't pick and choose, say, I want that one. It just doesn't work that way. Because if it worked that way, your ego would get in the way. Huh? I was at a meeting uh, last week, week before last, and the guy said, uh, get a piece of paper out and write ego on it. And we everybody got a, he gave us all a piece of paper. We wrote the word ego. He said, now, now ball the piece of paper up. And we all balled it up. He said, now throw it. And we threw it on the floor. And he said, don't pick ego back up. Because <laughs> it was all pastors and preachers, you know. So this is not about you and building you up. It's about helping other people, right? So, so I'm, I want to emphasize today where God's taking this is there's a renewal of spirit that's happening. The Holy Spirit wants to rise back up in the family of God again. I mentioned last week I was at a, a conference in 2009 where the minister who was used by the Lord in spiritual gifts uh, to some degree uh, mentioned that the Lord spoke to him that the church would, would, um, would, would, would depart from the moving of the Holy Spirit and become a seeker-sensitive institution, particularly in America for a number of years. But then just before Jesus comes back, there would be a renewal of the Holy Spirit in the church again. And churches that would move and flow with the Holy Spirit would come back to the ascendancy and rise up and become strong again. And do you know that happened? And now I feel it. I can sense God saying, now I want you to go back and, and revisit the way things were. Because all of us have been influenced by this, Right? All the churches have been influenced to some degree. Ours has to, I have to say. But I'm saying, God, I want more of you. How many want him? So again, we're talking about this is the 11th, uh, this is the 11th lesson on, uh, on what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. And this is the lesson 11. Today, I really want to talk again what I started last week, the moving of the Holy Spirit. God wants to move or manifest the Holy Spirit in your life again so you can minister to others, yes or no? Now, i got to tell you this, and I'm going to tell a little story, and I'm going to weave Scripture in it. Uh, last Tuesday was September 12th. September 12th was on a Sunday in 1976, and I mentioned that last week, so I celebrated my 47th spiritual birthday this past Tuesday, 47 years ago, on Sunday, September 12th at 7.20 p.m., I was actually in a building located 600 East Palmetto Street. I got this in my brain. In Florence, South Carolina. And we were having a service. I was there. Very end of the service. I think I mentioned this last week. My friend, who Steve, who took me to church, said, you want more of Jesus? I said, because I'd just given my life back to him that day. He said, well, you want more of Jesus? I said, yeah, sure. Mom. He said, well, walk down there. You'll get him. And, and y'all, I went down to the front of that church. And I experienced what my mother as a Southern Baptist experienced. Now, Southern Baptists don't preach the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say baptism with the Holy Spirit. Not one time in the Southern Baptist church did I ever hear the term, the baptism with, not one time, baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, we baptize people in water. And over these 40, uh, yeah, 42 years I've been in ministry, people inadvertently, when I say baptism with the Holy Spirit, they think I'm talking about baptism in water. That's not what I'm talking about. How many understand? To be baptized in water is to get a, a, a body of water and stick you in it all the way under even all of your hairs on your head, if you got them, all the way down. And you're wet from head to toe, right? That's immersion in water. But to be immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit means he comes on you and encompasses, envelops you with himself. So there's not any part of you that, that's not wet with him. 
And that happened to me, 7.20 p.m., September 12th, 1976. Now you say, well, pastor, do you feel anything when you receive this experience? Now people have different experiences with the Holy Spirit. You'll notice in Acts chapter 2 that when the, the, uh, when the, the early church was baptized with the Holy Spirit, they were in an, an upstairs room on the second floor of the building. They had been praying for the last number of days. Jesus had ascended to heaven and he said to them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. John baptized with physical water, but you're going to be baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now, right? And so, and so they waited and they were praying and all of a sudden, like I mentioned earlier, you know, they were just minding their own business and suddenly it felt like the wind was blowing. And all of a sudden they got all stirred up. They were praying. The Holy Spirit fell on them and they were baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit, in, in God's power. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the, the day that that happened to happen, it was, it was the 50th day. Pentecost means 50th. Everybody say 50th. It was the 50th day from the other feast, from the Feast of Passover. 50 days later on the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost had to do with uh, the excitement the Jews had over the harvest, right? And so this was a harvest feast. And isn't it unusual that the Holy Spirit fell on the church during a Jew Jewish feast celebrating harvest? Wonder why God would do something like that. Maybe the baptism with the Holy Spirit on the church has something to do with in preparing and prepping the church to be used by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to reap the harvest of souls on the earth. Do you think that could be the reason God did that? Do you think of that, huh? So see, there's an undertone emphasis to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to bless you. It's to bless you so you can help other people. Yes or no? It's not so you can be blessed to have a good prayer time or a good word time. It's so that God can change your life so you can go out and minister that life to other people. Otherwise, you're not being used the way God intended for you to be used by him, right? So let's recap a little bit. Jesus started his ministry with the baptism by his first cousin, John, in the Jordan River. At the same time, the Holy Spirit descended. He wasn't a dove. He was as a dove gently upon him. But the power of God came on Jesus, just like it came on the believers on the day of Pentecost. You shall receive power. That word power is the word dunamis. It means dynamic. It means dynamite. It means the ability to reproduce itself like a, a motor that produces electricity. You got something inside of you that's a whole lot bigger than you. huh? That's a whole lot stronger than you. That can do a whole lot more than you that can, that can uh, take you out of your parameters that you've set around your life as to what you can and can't do and turn you into another person. So let me come back to September 12, 1976. I've always been an introvert. Always, always. If you knew Mitch, he wouldn't even look you in the eyes. I'm walking around with my, feet, my hands in my pocket, you know, just woe is me. Nobody loved me. Nobody liked me. You know, full of self-pity. If you're so... If it's, uh, if you're full of self-pity, you know, well, can I be real with you? You need to get over you. Because you is about you. If you're full, I, because I know I was one. I was a self-pityite. I was all about me. Nobody loving me. Nobody paying attention to me. Nobody calling on me. Nobody doing anything with me. It's all about me. And when Jesus comes in, he wants to make life not about you. He wants you to make your life about him and then about others and sharing him with others. We've died and we've been hidden with Christ in God. Yes or no? So, again, 47 years ago, last this past Tuesday, I received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And, y'all, I just have to tell you, it changed my personality. And I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't mean I didn't know what it would do. My mother received that experience a year before, February of 1975, in a Baptist ladies' prayer meeting. 
And, uh, you know, all I can tell you about my mother was uh, it changed her. Uh, my, I have two brothers, my father, and we're in the home. My mother received that one day. The next day, I mean, we thought something happened to mama. Something's just really wrong with mama, y'all. I mean, my dad said, what happened to your mama? I said, I don't know. She was always complaining about her stomach aching. Her, she had back surgery in the 60s, and she actually had osteomyelitis in one of her hips at age four or five and had a deep scar in her hip for that. And that was always hurt. She was always talking about her you know, problems and pains and stuff. And she went from that, I mean, like 180 degree. And she started saying, praise God, hallelujah. I said, what? She said, well, praise God. I say, what? She say, well, hallelujah. I say, huh? She said, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, because, <laughs> you know, generally back then, Southern Baptists didn't talk that way. Not like that. And she's talking about that all the time. And then she's listening to 24 hours a day, uh, you know, FM radio. We had a little radio th kit in the house, you know, all over the house. And she turned that thing on and, you know, this is the day. This is, and they're singing and all, and we're thinking, What's all with this Christian music? Where, where's the Beatles? Where's, you know, where's ZZ Top? Where's those, where's those guys I listen to, you know? And she kept listening to all that, thinking, something wrong with Mama. And my dad kept saying, something wrong. Well, what we found out, she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it changed her. And she went from being talking about her to talking about Jesus. And see, that's what he does to you. He transforms you. When he came to me, I didn't mean to be this way. All I can tell you was three things happened to me. When I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, God wants you to walk in these things. Many of you have heard these things. My question is, are you walking in them? Amen. Right? First thing I noticed was three things happen. There's, there's a boldness that comes. Secondly, there's a greater understanding of the Word of God. Uh, thirdly, there's a new way to pray. Let's talk about indiv individually real quickly here. Um, but there's a boldness that comes. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you'll be witnesses into me. Power to be a witness. Not power to do witnessing. Power to live a different way so that people ask you questions. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Revere the Lord God in your heart. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's in you with, uh, with um, humbleness and respect. So, you know, that began to happen to me. Boldness came. So the next day, it's a Monday morning, I'm working in a grocery store. I'm going to college. I was known for smoking cigarettes, which I threw my, I mentioned last week, threw my Marlboros and my Cools out the window on Sunday the 12th. So this little girl I'd known all my life, her name was Jane. She had solid red hair. She was a beautiful little girl. And, but she was in first grade all the way through school. I knew her, and she worked at the grocery store I worked at. And I was notorious for trying to quit smoking cigarettes, but I'd pick them right back up, you know, and smoke. And then she was always asking me for a cigarette. She comes up back room and says, Mitch, Mitch, give me a cigarette. And I wanted to say, well, I don't have any right now. Before I could say that for the first time in my life, I heard something inside of me. That something inside of me is the Holy Spirit. And see, this is what he will do. He will give you boldness to do what you don't normally do and act like you don't normally act and say what you don't normally say, right? And I wanted to say, I mean, I really was like, Jane, I just don't have any. But I couldn't. I kept hearing, and I hesitated just a few seconds because I kept hearing. I heard what I heard. Tell her Jesus set you free. I said, well, she think I'm cuckoo. My head said, well, she think you cuckoo if you say that. One of the religious fanatics. And I, kept, I heard it, and so I started to say, well, I don't have it. And I heard it again. Tell her Jesus set you free. And that's the first time I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's right here. It wasn't here, it's here. And there was a conflict, and I had to determine which one I was going to listen to, right? So I just said, well, Jane, I don't have any Jesus. Jesus set me free from smoking yesterday. And I just never forget her facial expression. It was just kind of blank, like <laughs> her mouth kind of dropped down. And she didn't say anything. She looked at me like, <laughs> okay. And she walked on by, you know. But, and then when that happened, I, I never experienced the, the, uh, a joy. A joy. You ever had joy? Joy's deeper than happiness. Joy's something inside that grabs your heart and squeezes it. And you want to go, whoa, yeah. Huh? Every time you obey God, joy comes. If you don't have joy, it's because you're not obeying somewhere. If you want your joy back, obey. Joy, acronym, Jesus, others, you. Right? 
that's for somebody in the room. Get your joy back, you know. Give yourself away to Jesus. Say, God, forgive me for this, this. That'll sap your joy away. And then if you're not doing what he said, you know, you get joy when you obey. So I found that every time God wanted me to say something to somebody, then I did it, joy would come. That was the reward. Well, you know, as a kid, I'd, you know, clean the bathroom. Mama, give me a piece of candy or give me an apple, give me a banana. But see, when you obey God, he gives you joy. That's the reward. Well, you get some more joy. So the people that are the most joyful are the most obedient. Huh? How many are ready to give away your pickle and get some joy? How do you do that? You do that by obeying God and doing what he said, right? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it produces a boldness. And I found a boldness and I found myself telling people about Jesus. I mean, I would never do that. People would come up to me and if you know anything about me, my father the same way, I'm either, I'm humming or, I'm humming a tune or a singing something all the time, constantly. And I would do that at work and people come by and say, well, my, you're so happy and I heard inside. Tell them it's the joy of the Lord. I said, hmm, it won't do that. And I'd hear it again. Well, you're mighty happy today. You must be having a good day. And I, and I would just say, well, the joy of the Lord, the Bible says it's my strength. Well, how about that, they would say. Or sometimes they'd look at me like, and just walk on, you know. But you know what happened? That same joy, it rises up inside. It's like, oh, Lord, that's better than that piece of candy my mama gave me, the apple, banana. I want that joy again. So every time God's asked you to do something, you obey. How many know you get joy? The reward of obedience is joy. Everybody say it. The reward of obedience is joy. Ah, Peter says it's unspeakable and full of glory. You can't even put it into words. Ah! Right? Second thing that happens in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a greater understanding of the Bible. Now, listen, I got stars on my Baptist boy head all my life from age like four or five going into Baptist Sunday school and memorizing Scripture. And I'd memorize the Scripture, and the teacher would say, good boy, plant that gold star. Boop. So I'd walk out of Sunday school class with a gold star. You learned your Bible verse. Yes, I did. <laughs> The problem was I read my Bible religiously, and even when I was smoking pot as a teenager, did you know I wouldn't turn my light off in my room until I had read a portion of Scripture and said the Lord's Prayer? How many know you can be real religious in your sin? And a lot of people are religious in their sin because they don't want to give up their lifestyle. A lot of people in America are religious in their sin because they don't want to give up what they like to do. And that separates the believer from the unbeliever. If you say you're a believer but you never gave it up, you ain't yet. That's not good English, but you get what I'm saying, right? You're not. Because when you come to Jesus, he asks for all of you, not just a part of you. And he's asking for all of us in a renewed way today. How many hear me? I'm serious about this. So there's a new understanding of the Bible that comes. So I came home the next day after I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and um, tell that clock to quit. Hey, sun stands still, right? We can do that. <laughs> Kidding. I got home that day about 6 o'clock that night. And we didn't have a microwave yet because it had just been created, and we didn't have one in our house yet. So my mom, you know those old stoves you used to have on the counter? You stick something in there. So my mom would heat my food up. She'd cook. They ate really early in the day, and I got home after 6, so I had to heat mine up. It was in the refrigerator. I had heated my food up, and I'm sitting there eating my food, and I worked 10 hours that day. I think maybe I worked and went to school, went to work again, and came home. I'm sitting there eating my food, and all I can think about is, I just want to read the Bible. I just want to read the Bible. I'm hungry for the Bible. I'd never had a hunger to read the Bible. If you've never had a hunger for, to read the Bible, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because there's like something about, and literally, you know, I had this little King James Bible thing I had, and this is my old one. Look at that one. And I just wanted to do this. Mm, that's bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. That's messed up. 
And I got home, I got in my room, and I had a King James Bible. In fact, it said KJV on the, it was black, KJV on the, mark, on the you know, binder, uh, King James Version. And uh, I thought, but I started reading the book of Matthew. I saw Old Testament, New Testament. The day before, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and prayed in tongues. I'll talk about that in a minute. So that night, it's like, I just want to, I want to eat that Bible. So I started book of Matthew, Matthew 1, genealogies, Matthew 2. You know, birth of Jesus, latter part of Matthew 1, birth of Jesus, Matthew 2, Matthew 3, Matthew 4. By the time I got to the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, I'm not kidding, I said, huh, King James Version, Holy Bible. I have never read that like that before. That's what I thought to myself. I have never read that like that before. It was as though I knew exactly what was being said and why it was being said. And, and somehow the words, the black words on the white page, as I was reading them, they started talking about me changing me. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about church. It was about me and God. And it's about me changing my behaviors, changing my words, exchanging how I live for his way of living. And it's like, I never read anything like that in my life. And then I found 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man, the man not influenced by the Holy Spirit, the natural man does not understand the things of God, of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them. Because look at that last part, they're spiritually discerned or understood. It takes the Holy Spirit to discern or understand the Bible. Amen. Now, I've been to three Bible schools. I've got a Master of Divinity degree. On purpose, I didn't get my doctor. I'll tell you why later, but not today. And so I've studied all the Greek, Hebrew, blah, blah, and had lots of courses and all that. But you know what? Your head will never understand God. And, and, and sometimes the more educated you are, the more difficult you find spiritual truth. Did you know that? Because you're trying to analyze it and you're trying to reason it away. And God, the way he is, a child can understand him. I love him. I love him. I love the way he is. He's so not us. Do you agree? He's amazing. He's an amazing God. But I would read, and it's like, oh, God. And I would find myself, I, was, I, was, I just got down on my knees and said, God, I just, I just can't sit on my bed. I got to get on my face. And I find my, head, my face on the floor and say, God, I'm not doing that. And I was read Scripture. And they said, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving. See, and, and I'd hear somebody inside say, well, you're not doing that, are you? <laughs> you wasn't kind to your mama. You wasn't kind to your brother. I said, no, I wasn't. What kind to your boss? What about that guy you chewed out at work? I find myself say, God, I, you got to help me be that. And I found over and over again, the words I'd read all my life suddenly became life. Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, John 6, 63, they are spirit and they are life. Did you hear me? So again, if the word is dry letter, black words on the white page to you, baptism with the Holy Spirit, it'll make them juicy good and easy to digest understand and implement in life how many hear me don't forget the word of god is alive and full of power it's able to divide soul mind from spirit joint and marrow and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart that's incredible the word not a psychologist not 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 a guy taking you apart a little bit at a time weaving you through your, your childhood. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for that at times with certain situations. I'm just saying the Word of God can penetrate how you think and how you live. And talk about your motivations. God has dealt with so many things in my life and it's been 47 years and He's still talking to me about areas in my life. See, because here's what you got to know. The author of the book, the author of this Word right here, He knows everything about you. He knows why you do what you do. Some of us in the room and listening, you're doing things that you just wish you weren't doing. And you can't figure out why in the world you're attracted to that or why you want to do that or why you want to act that way. Well, if you'll get in the Word, 
The word will divide it. And the word will show you who you are and why you do what you do. Then you say, God, scoop that out of me. Just rotor root that right out. And the word of God will transform you. How many hear me? Whoa, that comes with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Greater understanding of the word. I've got this in my mind. It's, uh, let me go over here to my Bible. It's uh, James uh, 1. This keeps coming up. I think it's the Holy Spirit talking to me. James 1 verse, uh, there it is right there. Hmm. Uh, Verse 21. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Watch, for it has the power to save your souls. Woo! That's not talking about your spirit. That's talking about your mind. That's talking about your emotions and your will that's hooked up with your mind and emotions. The soul of man, mind, emotion, will, right? Said the word has the power to save. Do you know your soul needs to get saved once you come to Jesus? Your mind's got to change. Your motivations have to change. The word will do that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will will exacerbate, stretch that, make it bigger, make it stronger. Can you change without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, poquito, a little bit, tiny bit, but I'm telling you, you're transformed. If you let him come in in power, uh, he'll get a supernatural rotor-rooter after your soul and start talking to you about you, right? I don't know how many times. I mean, the pastor's talking about this or that, and the Holy Spirit said, what, what, you hear he said that? Now, you need to deal with that when you get home, right? I mean, thousands of times, y'all. Thou- Sometimes I'm preaching like, Mitch, we got to talk when you get home. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, principal's got it. I'm in the principal's office. How many hear me? Third thing that happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a greater understanding of the, I'm sorry, a greater, a different way to pray, number three. And, uh, you know, when I was a little boy, I prayed, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, the soul to keep. I think that's the McGuffey Reader had that in it. So I'd die before I wake and pray, the Lord, my soul to take. Amen. Then I pray over my lunch. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, a daily bread. Amen. And then we'll go to church and pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, how to be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Deliver us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I don't pray that way anymore. When I was a little boy, the Vietnam War was in full force. I'm in the Baptist church. Everybody prayed the same way every Sunday morning. God, thank you for the birds, the bees, the flowers, the trees. Thank you for creation. And Lord, help them boys in Vietnam not to die. Some of them are our boys. Every Sunday, I'm like, can't you call on somebody else, Pastor? But everybody said the same thing because everybody prayed the same way in rote. And I found I was doing that in my own life. When I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, listen, just can't tell you the change. It was a little odd and strange because I know English, you know, kind of well. Kind of, kind of, kind of. But that night that I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I spoke in a language I never learned. And I learned, I took two years of French in high school. And uh, I knew some French, but um, I, I couldn't speak it. I could speak in English, but I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this stuff come out of my mouth, like, what on earth is that? <laughs> Acts 2, 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them desire. Now, Baptist people, I was raised in the Baptist church. They said there were 17 nations visiting Jerusalem at the time. And all of them heard in their own dialect the wonderful works of God. So they said that these people that spoke in these languages on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, they did that so that they could minister to all the nationalities that were in Jerusalem. I said, okay, well, that sounds kind of reasonable like, like that could could have happened and sounds like it did, but that's not the whole story because Paul got baptized in the Holy Ghost and all those nations weren't there in Acts chapter 9 and he spoke in tongues as they did at the beginning, he said. And then in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, a few years after Pentecost, after that happening in Jerusalem, this was in Samaria and the Samaritan believers spoke in tongues.
And then about 20 years after uh, Pentecost, on Acts 19, uh, these people in in modern-day Turkey were following John the Baptist, found out that Jesus came, got water baptized, came to Jesus, got water baptized, repented of their sin. And then the apostle Paul laid hands on them, and they spoke in tongues and magnified God. And so if speaking in tongues was only for those people in Jerusalem, why did it happen in Samaria? Why did it happen to the Apostle Paul? Why did it happen in Ephesus? And then I didn't even mention Acts chapter 10, 10 years after Pentecost that day in Jerusalem. There were some believers in a, in a, in a, in a um, uh, non-Jewish person's home. And Peter got to preaching, and while he spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on all those who heard the word, and they weren't even Jews. And Jews at that time only thought that Jews could come to God. But, I mean, these people got born again and filled with the Holy Ghost in one fell swoop. Kerwop, they got it. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, there weren't 17 people. There weren't other people from other nations. There might have been. But I'm just saying, they prayed in tongues the way they did in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't just for the 17 nations is my inference there. You get it? It's it's literally a language. What is praying in the Spirit? So this was really odd to me. My mind went tilt. I'm a very analytical person. And you'll never analyze praying in tongues. You can't figure it out. It makes no sense. It's like, God, you're asking me to babble something I don't know in words I don't know. But you say it's wonderful. I say, that's crazy. That's what my head said. And my head kept saying, you dumb. And then the devil got along with my mind and said, you a fool to pray in tongues, son. People are going to think you cuckoo and a half. They're going to put you in, they're going to put you somewhere, give you some drugs, calm you down. And then the enemy, I started having thoughts like, don't you pray in them tongues. That's the devil talking. Because my Baptist pastor, everybody listening? My Baptist pastor. The only thing he ever said from the pulpit about other tongues, I can see him. He had black rim glasses, and he was standing. Here's the podium. He's standing right here. No organs over here. Christian flags back behind him. And he did this with his right finger. And other tongues is of the devil. And I'm a little boy, and I thought, well, you know, if that's of the devil, I sure don't want that. So I discounted that. But then when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, the opposite happened. If it was of the devil, then it, might, it, it should lead me to do devil things and talk devil ways and move away from God and not want Jesus. But see, the opposite became true. I got baptized with the Holy Ghost. It turned me on to the Word of God, gave me boldness like I'd never had before. And then this prayer thing, it made Jesus more real than they ever had. And I wanted Jesus more than I ever did. If it was of the devil, why is it leading me to Jesus? I think that was a deceiving spirit, right? So I kept praying in tongues, and I kept hearing, you shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. That ain't helping you a bit. And I just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When I pray in tongues, I don't speak to men but God. No man understands me, but in the spirit I speak. Amplified says secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the mind. So I, uh, I start kept praying in tongues. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, we got four kids now, but uh, when we had our children, you know, children start one-syllable words, and it's usually da-da, 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 mama, da-da. And then two-syllable words, three, four, five, whatever. And, and I found out, I'm saying the same thing over and over redundantly. I'm baptizing the Holy Ghost, but this phrase keeps coming out. I can't figure out for the life of me what I'm saying, but God says it's good. God says it builds me up, edifies me, and I'm praying the perfect prayer. I'm not speaking to men, I'm speaking to God. He's the only one that understands me. The devil don't even know. Then I figured out the reason the devil was hounding my mind about praying in tongues was he didn't want me doing it because it's the perfect way to pray. I found out Romans 8, 26 and 27 says I'm praying the perfect will of God. So if you're praying the perfect will of God, do you think any devil, any demon spirit, any fallen angel, the devil himself wants you praying the perfect will of God? Well, no, my Lord. He wants you to pray your will and your mind and your way. But when you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're praying God's will, God's mind, God's way. Yes or no? So I'm just saying that with the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes three distinct things. Number Again, number one, a boldness that you never had before. Maybe you're reticent to share Jesus with people. Maybe it's like, well, I can't do that today. I just don't feel it. Well, you can do this when you don't feel it. That boldness comes. 
Secondly, a greater understanding of the Bible. Just a hunger. I mean a hunger. After that, y'all, I mean every day I would, my, it became my normal way of living. I'd go home, still live with my parents, shut the door after I ate my, my supper, you know, shut the door and just read for several hours. Just read my Bible. Just read, 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 read. I just couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough. And I'm still reading. I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. It's just a hunger. Third thing that happens is a new way to pray. If, 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 you, if, if, if prayer a challenge, is a challenge, and prayer is a challenge for most people. If you add the dimension of spirit-filled praying, that is praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues, praying in the unknown tongue, all synonymous terms, it will transform your life and transform your prayer life. And now, I tell you, then, then you can get to the place where you, you can hear the Spirit of God talking to you. And you can hear the information He has for your day, for who you're going to talk to, for what you should be doing, here for what you should be preaching. I was praying this morning up in my little chair, my little red chair, kneeling on the floor. Um, and I saw the end of our meeting here. And we're going to do what I saw. So before we do that, we're about, everybody okay? Y'all need to take a break? Y'all, I'm almost done. Y'all good? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. And, and maybe next time, I thought I'd finish this time, but I can't. I got one more thing to talk about, and it's gifts of the Spirit. The church of Jesus in America has left the gifts of the Spirit over here in a box and just and relegated them to those in ministry. And friends, it should not be that way. Huh? You should be operating in whatever God wants. There are nine of them. And maybe next time we'll go into some detail. I just run out of time. I really have run out of time. And I don't want to violate you and don't want to violate our children. Is that okay? But I want you, will you do something before you come back? Will you ask the Lord for spiritual gifts to manifest in your life? The Bible says, covet earnestly the best gifts. Three things that will cause the Spirit of God to manifest, and I'll talk about them next time. And then I want to talk about the nine gifts and how they work and how they don't work. God began to use me after I was um, baptized with the Holy Spirit, September 12, 1976. Um, Really, the first thing that happened was I was in a small group and prophecy came. I'll talk about it next time. And I'd, I'd never had that come on me. And y'all, woo-wee, well, if you ever happen, that ever happens to you, it's like, wow. Now, y'all, I've been high on drugs. In fact, listen to this. I walked out my door in the hotel we were in yesterday because I had to prepare on Friday. And somebody's smoking reefer all around me. <sighs> That skunk smell was everywhere. I know how it smells. And I know what drugs do, and I've been high on various pharmaceuticals. I know how that feels. But I have to tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and when God invades your human person, it is an experience that is undeniable and that is all-consuming and that searches inside of you and at the same time makes you feel so ecstatic at times and at the same time so not ready and then it gives you a hunger I got to have more. And then it puts in you this desire to please God. You don't want to upset Him. You just want to love Him. You want to love Him by obeying Him. Right? Yeah, that's what it does. You've never experienced that. You can. You just got to want it. Jesus said those that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. That word for hunger, it's the Greek word for starving. You ever seen a starving person looking for food? I grabbed that food one time. Susan and I were downtown Raleigh, and the guy was starving. He was a street guy. And we would just be bopping down the street. Now, here's a guy. A guy threw a sandwich from McDonald's in the trash can. We saw it, and half of it wasn't eaten. And we were down the street a ways, and this street guy, he saw that. He ran over to that trash can. He grabbed that uneaten sandwich. 
Now, dude, you got to be hungry to do that. Huh? And there is a spiritual hunger that makes you just as almost fanatical almost. It's like, I got to have God. I want God. If you don't have that, he'll give it to you. Start asking to get hungry. Is that good? Huh? Some of you know what I'm talking about with some of this stuff, huh? And now our whole culture is all hooked up on sex. Sex is the greatest thing. A lot of people are all bound by porn, all hooked up on that, and they're getting high on porn like they get high on pot and heroin and crack. And they're looking at it all the time. And sex is the biggest deal. Friends, all that will do, it will abuse your body, abuse your emotions, abuse your mind, and suck the very life out of you, and you'll never be satisfied with anything or anybody. And you can't even have a relationship with yourself. Right? But God can fill the vacuum. And that's what he's wanting to do today.